Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 today on cornerstone connection with pastor gary hamrick do not put your confidence and trust in a place or a thing or even people, put your ultimate, truest confidence and trust in the Lord. People with all good intentions will from time to time fail you because no one is perfect and people make mistakes. And if you hang all your confidence on another person, oh my goodness, then when they fail, there goes your confidence. This is Cornerstone Connection, radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. Since we have benefited so much from God's grace, wisdom, and faithfulness in our lives, shouldn't we long to share God's goodness with others? The psalmist reminds us to never become so self-centered that we neglect the opportunities God gives us to make a difference in the lives of others. God has a rich and fulfilling purpose for our lives that will glorify Him and will also make a lasting impact in the world around us. In today's message, Pastor Gary will challenge us to surrender our lives entirely to God's higher purpose for us. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 120 through 123, with part two of his message, Pilgrim's Progress. You and I are on a pilgrimage. This earth is not our final destination. We are aliens and strangers. We are not citizens of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as such, we are on a pilgrimage. But we're not on a pilgrimage to an earthly destination. We're on a pilgrimage to a heavenly destination. And there is a city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, which we are on a destination towards. And what I'd like us to do as we, over the next couple of weeks, read through these pilgrim psalms is I want us to glean some good themes and principles here to be reminded of, or maybe to learn for the first time, some important things about the pilgrimage that you and I are on to our ultimate destination, that we would continue to be strengthened in our faith as we go from here to there along this path this journey that we call life. So today, we're going to look at three of these 15 psalms. We're going to look at Psalm 120 that we just read, Psalm 121, and Psalm 123. So if you still have your Bibles open there to Psalm 120 that we read a moment ago, the psalmist here in Psalm 120 is in distress. And we find out through this chapter that the source of his distress is because he lives in a culture 
that is very contrary to his values and his faith. His culture is very antithetical to what he's about. The psalmist writes here that he's in distress because of the conflict, how different his culture is from his own values and his faith. And so within this chapter, he talks about how he speaks the truth, but they speak lies. He says, I am honest, they are deceitful. He says, I want peace, they want war. If you look again here in Psalm 120 to verse 2, for example, where he says, Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. He says, I I find people are lying around me, they're deceiving around me. He says, this distresses me, it troubles me. And he says in verse 7, I am a man of peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So he talks about this conflict and how, and how different it is living in, in this culture where he says peace, they say war. He speaks truth, they speak lies. He says what is honest and they say what is deceitful. He says, he says I'm distressed by all this around me. And to even draw an illustration to express his distress here, look at verse 5 where he says, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech and that I live among the tents of Kedar. Now, how can you live in two different places? I dwell in Meshech, I live in the tents of Kedar. Again, the, the, the genre of the book of Psalms is poetry. This is poetic language here. And he's talking about two extreme places, two extreme points on a map. Meshech is an ancient term for the region around the Black Sea. On a map today, it would be Russia. And the tents of Kedar is southern Arabia. It's where the Bedouins would live in tents. What he's saying here is, I'm living in a world that is full of just complete opposites. He says, you know, I live among people, but the people I live among, I feel so different to them that though I can be close to them in proximity, physically speaking, we are miles apart, spiritually speaking. And and this is what distresses him. He says, I, I feel like this opposition is, and this conflict is constantly around me. I'm just, I'm just feeling barraged by, by all of this that is conflicting in my life. And so when he expresses this, this distress, you, you, might, you might read this chapter and think, yeah, I, 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 kind of, I kind of understand what he's talking about. If, you, if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian for very long... You might feel in a similar way, like, you know, you live among people, you work among people, you go to school with some people, and and your view of things is totally different from their view of things. And the reason is because as a Christian, you see, the lens that you're looking through is the Bible and your relationship with Christ. So they have a different lens that they're looking through, and so some of the things that they value, you don't. Some of the things you value, they don't. And it's just a constant life of distress and contradiction and conflict. And that's the way life is going to be. But the psalmist pours this out and he says, I'm in distress. And he, and he says in verse 1, God hears me in my distress and he answers me. Now, how did God answer him? Because God's answer was not, okay, I see that you're in distress in this conflicting world with your culture, so I'll just take you out of it. Now, that's going to come one day. But in the meantime, that's not God's answer to him. God's answer, basically, verse 4 says, I'll punish those who need to be punished. Don't you worry about them. I'll take care of those people, okay? What he's inferring here is, but as for you, instead of taking you out of this world, here's the answer to your distress. You're going to have to learn to live within this world where I've planted you and exercise endurance and influence. Endurance and influence. Those are key words. God is saying, you're going to have to represent me to people in this conflicted culture. 
And you're going to have to endure some things, and you're going to be a vessel of influence for my glory. This is your mission field. So that's the answer to our distress. It's not, Lord, take me out of this, although one day he will take the church out. But in the meantime, it's, Lord, help me to occupy well. Jesus said, occupy till I come. He didn't say flee till I come. He said, occupy till I come. Peter would say it like this in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world. He says, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. That's part of the endurance. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's influence. There's going to be some things we need to endure. And then the other part is we need to be people of influence. So part of Pilgrim's Progress, part one in our series here, point number one, exercise endurance and influence in this world because that's what God calls us to. You remember Lot in the book of Genesis? The Bible says in 2 Peter 2.8 that that righteous man living among Sodom and Gomorrah day after day, a pretty heathen pagan place, pretty immoral place, there was Lot, a righteous man living among the people, and Peter writes in his epistle that he was, Lot was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. King, King James says he was vexed in his spirit because of the things he saw and the things that he heard. And God had to send angels to literally come and rescue him and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know the tragic story. Lot's wife looked back as if the inference is longingly. She looks back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God turns her into a pillar of salt. Not a good day for Mrs. Lot. And it was a sore subject around the dinner table. Anytime that Lot would say, pass the salt shaker. Anyway, so I've just given you more reasons to pray for me. But anyway, so Lot was this guy and he's vexed in his spirit. He's tormented. And sometimes you might feel that. You might live in this culture and you might be tormented in your spirit. Just like, I don't like the way that culture is going. I don't like some of the things that where society is heading. And, and, and even the, the, the strife and the distress I feel where I work and where I go to school and all this kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. It's about endurance and it's about influence. This is your mission field. This is my mission field. And as we make pilgrimage in this journey we call life from here until we are able to fully realize our reward in heaven. This is our mission field. And we must be people who exercise endurance and influence for the glory of God. Look at Psalm 121. Psalm 121, the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Number two, for those of you taking notes, look always to the Lord for your help. The psalmist starts out in this chapter by saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Now, again, they're making pilgrimage up to Jerusalem. It's a hilly place. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. He sees in the distance the temple of Jerusalem. 
And then he asks a very important question. Where does my help come from? Where does my help come from? And he asked a right question, and so he realizes a right answer. And he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And notice he did not say, my help comes from Jerusalem. I see the city in the distance. My eyes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? He doesn't say my help comes from Jerusalem. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he fixes his mind on God as creator. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And here's why this is important. Because when we seek the help from the Lord, we must always remember. This is what he's basically saying. As creator, the one who created the heavens and the earth in six days, God can probably handle one of my bad days. One of my bad days I'm going through, the creator of the universe can probably help me through it. So he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, but he doesn't fix his gaze on the hills. He fixes his gaze higher on the Lord of the hills. Please, friends, do not put your confidence and trust in a place or a thing or even people. Put your ultimate truest confidence and trust in the Lord. People with all good intentions will from time to time fail you because no one is perfect and people make mistakes. And if you hang all your confidence on another person, oh my goodness, then when they fail, there goes your confidence. But the Lord will never fail you and the Lord will never leave you. And the Lord will never forsake you. So he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the one who owns and made those hills. My help is from the Lord of Jerusalem, not Jerusalem itself. The help was not Jerusalem. It was the Lord of Jerusalem. Your help is not Cornerstone Chapel. Your help is the Lord of Cornerstone Chapel. Okay? Your help is not a a thing. It is not a place. It is the person of The Lord, he is the maker of heaven and earth. Put your trust and your confidence in him and look to him always for your help. Psalm 121 is about the watchful care of the Lord. And he uses the word watch or watches. Maybe you noticed through that, through that passage, five times in eight verses concerning the way that God watches over us. And the psalmist is actually drawing on the illustration of a watchman on the wall. In ancient cities, they had watchmen who were perched along the edges of the upper part of the walls, often in towers. If towers were sometimes on the corner of the city walls, that's where the watchman would be perched. And their sole purpose was to be watching and looking for impending danger or an approach approaching enemy army. And then if the watchman saw some danger or some enemy army coming, then the watchman would sound the alarm for the sake of all the people in the city. The purpose of the watchman to do his duty was for the benefit of the people in the city. And that's why the watchman could never go to sleep. And he talks about here how the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps because the watchman was always on guard, always watching, surveying the landscape to make sure no danger or harm was coming. The watchman had to always be on. It was mission critical. And the psalmist is saying here, this is how God is toward us. He is always on. He neither neither slumbers nor sleeps. That he watches over us. And he guards us. Even, he says in verse 6, the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. It's poetic language, meaning that nothing either during the day or at night 
will harm us when God is keeping watch. So look to the Lord always for your help. He stands watch. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, and nothing is too difficult for him. Now, I'm going to skip Psalm 122, except for pointing out that this is a chapter that instructs us to regularly pray for Jerusalem. I do want to mention verses 6 through 9, and then we'll move on. But David is the writer of this psalm, it tells us, and he says in verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. It's nothing that is news to any of us that Jerusalem is probably the most hotly contested piece of real estate on the planet. Uh, The Middle East conflict really centers around that city in particular. And why is that? Well, the answer is, again, because we're looking at the Middle East conflict through the lens of the Bible. What we understand is that God's redemptive plan was unfolded on Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified on Mount Moriah, one of the hills of Jerusalem, 2,000 years ago for the sins of the world. Satan did everything he could to stand opposed to thwart that plan. Of course, God always prevails. And Satan, subsequent to the cross, is doing everything he can to show his disdain for it. So he is the one who's constantly stirring up anti-Semitism, stirring up conflict, stirring up tension, stirring up all of this in the world, and in particular over the city of Jerusalem. We should pray for the peace of Jerusalem and all who occupy it, Arabs and Jews. We should pray for all who are there in Jerusalem. But the reason this is a hotly contested piece of real estate is because God's redemptive plan was unfolded there, and God's plan still has much to be unfolded related to Jerusalem in the days to come. But I'd like us, for the sake of time, just to jump to Psalm 123. For the last of the pilgrim psalms that we'll look at for today, and then we'll, we'll look at some more in the weeks to come. Psalm 123 is only four verses. It says this, I lift up my eyes to you, to you whose throne is in heaven. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, So our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. Circle that. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us, for we have endured much contempt. We have endured much ridicule from the proud, much contempt from the arrogant. So the key word here in this passage is the word mercy. It is repeated three times in this chapter and only four verses. It is the Hebrew word hanan. Hanan means to bend or to stoop in kindness to another, typically who is inferior. And it also means to bestow favor. To bend or stoop in kindness and to bestow favor. That's a picture of our loving father. And that's why the psalmist talks about the mercy of the Lord in this passage, because it is God who stoops down to show us kindness we don't deserve and to bestow on us favor we didn't earn. That's his mercy. God is a merciful God. He is merciful to us. Mercy is an important word throughout the Bible. It appears more than 200 times in the Bible. But it is not typically a word that we use in common conversation, okay? In our English vocabulary, we don't talk about mercy very much. 
There's been some songs written with the, ti- with the word mercy as part of the title. But other than that, it's not really a word that is engaged in much conversation. The only place that you'll typically hear mercy outside of the church, outside of the Bible, often used is in a court of law. Because when the accused has been accused of a crime and found guilty of that crime, the one who's been convicted and found guilty will sometimes ask the court for leniency. And that phrase that is used that someone who's convicted of a crime will throw themselves on the mercy of the court. We all know what that means. The one who was convicted of a crime is hoping and asking and appealing to the judge to go easy on him. That even though he or she deserves punishment, the request is, please do not enforce the full punishment that I rightly deserve, and please show leniency. And that, that idea, that concept of mercy in a courtroom helps us to understand, really, mercy that is revealed in Scripture. Because it's very similar. We all stand guilty before the righteous judge of the universe. And we all should be punished. Because we're all sinners. But God, Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, is rich in mercy. Can I get an amen to that? God is rich in mercy. And he does not punish us according to what our sins deserve. Now, it isn't that he just overlooks the crime. What he did was he placed our punishment intended for us on his son, Jesus. That's the whole beauty of the cross. That Jesus took on the punishment intended for us. He took on the shame intended for us. The guilt, the consequence intended for our sin. And by his stripes, Isaiah tells us, we are healed. We're made whole. And it's all because of the merciful act of our Father in heaven that he would allow us to receive kindness, that he would actually stoop down to to bestow on us favor that we didn't earn and to show us kindness that we don't deserve. That's a merciful God. Daniel talks about the mercy of God in Daniel 9.9 when he says, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. The prophet Micah said it this way in Micah 7.18. God delights to show mercy. James 5.11 says the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. If you've ever felt like you've done something unforgivable, I want you to hear loudly and clearly. You can always appeal to the mercy of God because he is a merciful father. No matter what you've ever done, no matter what you've ever contemplated doing, God is a merciful God. And the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In Luke 1.50, the mother of Jesus, Mary herself, said, that his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. God is a merciful God. On this pilgrimage we call life, may we always remember, endure and influence. And may we always remember that we should look to him for our help 
And may we always remember that he's a merciful God and we can always appeal to him for his mercy. Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know, but still you know You're not